Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome everybody to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode 199 and 6 ninths or 199 version 69 something like that whatever it is it's 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 an honor of my occasional co-host Liz Hersey and the request that uh, that she made once we decided that uh, we were going to split these episodes up so presumably you very recently finished listening to episode 199 and a half which was the the first two hours of my epic four-hour conversation with Liz Hersey as she and I previewed the 2019 Academy Awards. So, I'm just, I'm, I'm basically as a, as a, just for, I, I figured I had to introduce this episode just, just so it would be, it, it just felt more appropriate. I didn't, I, I, did, I, I didn't want to just start with the next part, even though, Really, at this point, for as far as I know, you already fast forwarded through this, so so that's fine. Um, uh, I'm gonna get started in just a second. Uh, just uh, really quickly f- f- for some house cleaning. If you have any Amazon shopping to do uh, before you go to Amazon, first go to the official website of this podcast, MartinLestrapsShow.com. When you get there, go to the shop page. You're gonna see an Amazon banner at the top. Click that banner. It's gonna take you to Amazon. Once you get to Amazon, you can do all the same shopping you were otherwise going to do, except because you went through the official website, Amazon in turn kicks back a few pennies our way. We get to take those pennies and reinvest them into the show, which allows us to make the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour as good as we can possibly make it for you, which is what we strive to do uh, every once in a while. Also, if you're not subscribed, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, if iTunes isn't your jam, you can subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Uh, if you don't do Stitcher Radio, there's there's other places to subscribe, uh, including uh, uh, Google Radio, I believe. I don't know if that's what it's called, but that's where Liz listens to the show. She's actually the one who told me it was there. Uh, but uh, you know, if none of those if none of those options or any of the options that I don't know that exist but exist, if none of those work for you then you can still listen to every single episode of this podcast on the official website, martinstrapshow.com. So without further ado, let me go ahead and get you started with the second half of my Academy Award preview with Liz Hersey as we get things started with Bohemian Rhapsody. Number three on our list is Bohemian Rhapsody. And... So, so this is another one. So, I've, so, so as of yesterday, I, I've seen Bohemian Rhapsody three times. And uh, this is one, I, I probably, I, I think I, this is another one that I, I think I love this movie with a small L. My love has evolved uh, since the first time that I saw it. And I'll talk about that in more, in more detail uh, in a bit. 
what I can say is I have I have these weird mixed feelings of uh, the first the, the first time especially that I saw it um, I felt like I enjoyed this movie an awful lot it's not going to get any attention during award season and then when it got nominated for the Globes I thought oh well that's cool um, uh, you know I, I like it enough that I'm happy to see that it got nominated um, Golden Globes they're generally kind of quirky though they'll, they'll, they'll nominate stuff like like Oh Brother Where Art Thou but then ultimately after the Globes, it's not going to get any attention. But through award season, Bohemian Rhapsody, it, it's almost as if they've switched places with The Star is Born and it's getting the awards treatment that we thought A Star is Born was going to get. And I'm not mad at that. I just didn't expect it based on the level in which I enjoyed it. But also, I also like it a lot I love it with a small L so I'm also not mad at the awards attention that it's getting it's still it's still, the, the novelty that's getting this much attention it's still fascinating to me though what, what are some of your immediate thoughts well yeah it is very fascinating to me because normally the, okay this movie did not get great reviews from the critics it really it did it, it and so most and so critics can agree and disagree on on what deserves best picture and what doesn't. You look at most best picture lists from years gone by, and just about every movie on there is certified fresh from Rotten Tomatoes. And this one, I believe it, it's like small fresh, and um, and I think on Metacritic it's forty nine or something like that. <laughs> so it was not loved by critics, and the idea behind it was Rami Malek is amazing. The rest of the movie is just kind of a behind by the numbers like um vh1 behind the music kind of story yeah and i really disagree with that i thought this movie was very inventive it depicted it well it, it does have a lot of the the behind the music you know trying to record an album and fighting with the the executives who want to do it their way and the internal contra like uh, conflict in the band and stuff i feel like i was glued to my chair the whole time i was so fascinated by it by these creative souls and by freddie mercury's personal story that i i was i was completely enchanted with this movie and again there are some controversies about um surrounding the portrayal of freddie mercury's sexuality that the movie kind of paints it as well he, he he's just gay that's just it and in reality, apparently, he was bisexual, had relationships with men and women, and that just by saying he's just flat out gay is a way of straight washing his story. And um, and I don't know enough about Freddie Mercury to really be able to comment on that with an educated opinion. But like Green Book, I don't think it is necessary for a narrative film about a true subject to be completely faithful to every aspect of reality. I think that they're trying to tell a story and I think that they told it really well. And I think that it showed that he did have complicated relationships with people, with men and women. And there is this one scene with his ex-wife where you can just tell that he loves her so much and wants to keep her in his life. He bought the house next door to him so she could live there. And he, he's on top of the world, but he's so lonely and he calls her and he says, have a drink with me over the phone. And it's just heartbreaking. And I just, it, it was just, I was just spellbound by this whole movie. 
I don't get the hatred for it at all. Um, and, and we'll talk about some controversies around the director after I finish my opinion. But um, that last scene especially, which even the people who shit all over the movie have said the last scene of them performing at Live Aid is one of the most exquisite, mesmerizing sequences of filmmaking I have ever seen. So to say this movie is not deserving of Best Picture, I flat out disagree. I had a great time with this movie, and I think it deserves all the love it's been getting. Absolutely, and and so 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 with some of the um, as you said, like VH1 behind the music. Uh, well, actually, you know what? Let, let me go back to. I want to. I want to talk about a point that you just mentioned. So, so the fact that there, the fact that there was uh, a lot of people, be they reviewers or otherwise, kind of shitting on it. I, I, Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, in a lot of ways, lends itself to what I was talking about at the beginning of the to- of, of the podcast of people seeming to hate shit just because. They feel like they, you know, if, if 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 they can't be enamored with it, then it must be the worst thing ever, and um and uh, and so I've seen a lot of the same reviews that you've seen, which is you know, uh, the you know the, the you know the first two acts is just sort of you know, just just whatever uh you know VH1 behind the music, but but that third act is uh is you know just just outstanding. Um, for me, there was never a point where I was not enjoying this movie. The, and so the first time I saw it, um, I had to, so, so, so I would say within like the first like 20 minutes or so, um, I, I don't know what my expectations were, but, um, I was like, oh, okay, this, this appears to be a movie that's going to be sort of like a fun, um, a fun recreation of what it looked like with Queen forming and then making their music. That's cool. I'm on board for that. Um, and so I was, I was totally fine with that version of the movie and I was enjoying it just fine. And then when we got to the third act, it, it, um, it hit on some really strong, uh, for, for me, but, but some really strong, uh, uh, uh emotional tones of uh, the story took a, not, not a different direction, but the, you know, one, you know, once, once it gets into Freddie Mercury, you know, Queen breaking up, him spiraling a little bit, uh, contracting AIDS, um, you know, trying to reconcile with the man all the way to the, just the truly just, just, just breathtaking, um, recreation of, of the Live Aid performance. Um, you know, the third act of the movie, in, in some ways, <laughs> and you know what, as I talk about it, uh, in some ways, it is a little bit of a parallel to, to *A Star Is Born*, where um, I enjoyed the fir- I enjoyed the you know the first part of uh, *Bohemian Rhapsody* every time I see it, but that third act feels like it just matured into something much bigger and better, more amazing than I was prepared for, based on everything that led up to it. And I say that having enjoyed the first you know first act, second act. Uh, and then the third act just really blossoms into something that that uh, that I wasn't that I wasn't expecting. That said, there there was a lot of critics shitting on it. Um, a lot of podcasters that I've been listening to who who you know purport to enjoy movies shitting on it. And uh, and I'm can glad- I just add what podcasts have you been listening to? Uh, the main one that uh, that I've been that, that I found it's called uh, the Big Picture, okay. and. Um, there's there I I don't know their their names. There's one particular so I think there's like one host and you know, two or three sort of rotating hosts. 
Um, there's one host. I, I won't say their name or their gender. I'll just say, fuck, I hate when I hear their voice because I know they're going to sh- say shit that's going to upset me. And I know that they're a fucking millennial. I could tell. I don't have to know their fucking <laughs> birthday. And I just wish they weren't on the show anymore. <laughs> but I don't. I, I only listen to their Oscar stuff. And so, but it, I feel like anytime I find movie shows, more and more, I find myself getting more upset with the host of like, do you guys actually like movies? Because it doesn't sound like you like fucking I know, anything. I know what you mean. And I listened to um, IndieWire Screen Talk where they talked about Bohemian Rhapsody. They talk about the Oscars a lot. And I really like them both, both the hosts. Um, but they both don't like Bohemian Rhapsody. And whenever they've been talking about its success in the nominations for Best Picture, they use word language as colorful as being disgusted. And I'm I'm floored. And, and, and I, I, I'm... I, I have nothing against the word. I, I use it. I, I think I've said, take a drink every time I've said travesty on one of these podcasts. <laughs> You'll be blotto, trust me. But um, but I just I'm just shocked, and I have never, with a best picture nominee or with a movie that's done this well in award season, noticed more of a disparity between critics and viewers. And I had a, a small Golden Globes party. And um, and Bohemian Rhapsody very shockingly won Best Drama. That was like you said, the beginning of the end for A Star Is Born, which everyone thought was going to win, which I bet two whole dollars on. Um, and when Bohemian Rhapsody won, the crowd in my place went nuts. We burst into applause, and no one got it right. But we were just so happy that this movie won because we all connected with it so much. Yeah, I totally agree. I was caught off guard and I was also happy for it. I was also confused, but not because I was upset, but just because like it went so against what, again, you and I follow this stuff closely. We thought we knew what we were getting into this award season and it's somewhere along the line, you know, just a huge collection of voters didn't get the memo that uh, that, that we thought we knew what was going to happen. And in some ways, it almost feels defiant. But again, not in a bad way, but just like, you know, regardless of what critics are saying or cynical podcasters, not Liz and I, but the ones who just don't seem to like movies at all, but watch them and record podcasts about them. Um, uh, you know, people like like my mom. So 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 she she so I took her to see Bohemian. I took her and my dad to see Bohemian Rhapsody because um, as much as I enjoyed it. Like, I knew that they would love it. I knew it would connect with their sensibilities. And they both did. And my mom was just like, just over the moon, loved the movie. She'd never even heard the words Rami Malek before. It's like her new boyfriend now. Um, we uh, So we both watched it again yesterday because yesterday was day one of the Best Picture Showcase. So for day one, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, you know, um, closed out the day. Um, I watched in Vegas. My mom watched uh, day one in California. She's going to come to Vegas next weekend for a whole Oscars weekend. Um, oh, that's fun. That's going to be great. But as soon as the showcase day one was over, she texted me with a with a you know crying emoji just because you know she loved it so much and she's saying you know he better win best actor. Like she's just like just loves it, loves it, loves it. And I feel like that overwhelming love is really more the case than like than than you know what we're reading in reviews. Or hearing in, in cynical podcasts, and I, I think there's a lesson to be learned. And it's all, and honestly, if for me, it's very heartening because, you know, when I if I hear two or three podcasters saying the same thing, then I'm thinking, oh fuck, I guess 
I guess this is the way the wind's blowing. I, I must be just way off on this. So it's very heartening to see, uh, you know, in this case, Bohemian Rhapsody um, getting really positive attention during uh, award season. And just, you know, the cynical, cynical podcasters who, ironically, I keep listening, but it doesn't mean that they don't get under my skin sometimes. Um, in fact, there, there's another podcaster. It was on Fat Man on Batman. It, it, so, so actually, this is, his name's going to come up twice. <laughs> they, they recently renamed it to Fat Man Beyond, but it used to be called Fat Man on Batman. Hosted by Kevin Smith, you know, a filmmaker. Uh, his co-host for the last year, two years, his name is Mark Bernardin. He's uh he he's spent like twenty years as an entertainment writer. He very recently got into uh, television writing. He was in the he was in the writing room for uh, Castle Rock, which was a, a Hulu original show. Uh, really smart guy. Really smart when it comes to storytelling. Really really smart when it comes to like analyzing a movie or breaking it down or or you know being able to pinpoint like if they just turn the just turn the dial this way. And just every time, I was like, "Oh man, that's so smart." Yeah, that's that's a really smart observation. But that said, he's not a millennial, but he does have a very bitchy millennial gene in his body that comes out more than I wish it did. And part of it came out when he talked about Bohemian Rhapsody. And for him, he he pinpointed to the scene with uh, Mike Myers, ultimately uh, making a tongue-in-cheek joke about Wayne's World and how you know. Uh, teenagers in 20 years aren't going to be bobbing their heads in cars to Bohemian Rhapsody because that's exactly what they what they did in, in Wayne's World with uh, Mike Myers. And so, so you know, it, it, it's a cute joke, and if you get the reference, you can enjoy it. If you don't, nothing in the movie hinges on it. And so, like, he pointed to that as if, like, you know, that's representative of, you know, why I say fuck, fuck this movie. And I was like, man, he feels... I loved it when that happened. Yeah, me too. That's the thing. I... I and I've never even seen Wayne's World, but I'm culturally relevant enough to know that. And it doesn't derail the whole plot of the movie to do that tongue-in-cheek reference. At all. And so so I feel like he and other, other... I don't know where it fucking comes from, but it just... It makes me so mad that it feels like people... Like, I just... I think, like, you know, are, are Liz and I the only people who actually enjoy watching movies anymore? Like, is there just a whole... Just a whole cottage industry based purely on hating movies and watching them anyway because it's very it's very it's 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 kind of a bummer which is another reason i was excited just to just to talk to you so we can just sort of engage in just some just fucking love of movies yeah exactly and you know what and we're not alone because like i said the whole crowd at my place went gangbusters when this movie won and i do i do want to say one more thing um that I, i think we'd be remiss not to talk about in terms of bohemian rhapsody and um, I like to go back in time a little bit to last year when we were so happy that the disaster artist got nominated for best adapted screenplay yeah. because it was expected that disaster artist, which was an excellent film, would have done a lot better uh, in terms of Academy Award nominations had it not been for the James Franco Me Too controversy. And then it only got uh, the screenplay nomination. And here we have Bohemian Rhapsody, where uh, the controversial director, Brian Singer, is credited as director, even though he was fired um, three days before production wrapped. Um, and I'm... Not only fired, read, not to cut you off, not only fired, but by all accounts, even when he wasn't fired, was just not showing up all that much. Exactly. Yeah, he, he left He left production, and so they fired him. Um 
And I don't know. Did you read that whole article that you sent me, Martin? Uh, almost definitely. But go ahead and remind me which one. Yeah, uh, you sent me an article that was a, uh, basically chronicling all the um, accusations against Brian Singer and sexual abuse accusations. It was uh, an article in the Atlantic, and it was it's very long and very very disturbing. Um, oh, the Atlantic and, one. You know what? I haven't read I haven't read that one all the way through yet. No, but go yeah. and talk about it. Well, I'm just I'm just saying that. I mean, what happened if these things are true, and I believe them to be true, are despicable, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But Brian Singer and and associates of his have been accused of abusing, sexually abusing underage boys for years, and it, it's it's a, a horror show. It really is. Um, and that being said. And I, 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 I don't want to sound glib when I say this, and I still want to talk about it a little more, but going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, and in the past when we've talked about other movies like The Disaster Artist or, or what, anything like that, I am someone where I want people who have done wrong to be punished for it, to be called to task, but I don't want other people who haven't done wrong, who have worked really hard on movies and who have done great work, to be punished because of one bad egg. And so I am happy to see that Remy Malek is getting the Oscar love that he is. Bohemian Rhapsody is as well. That the bad egg and the the bad aura around Brian Singer did not infect this movie. Yeah, because I, I, it is a, an excellent movie. I totally agree. Because I, I and that and you've def, you've you've articulated this point of view on a uh, on previous podcasts. Um, but I totally agree with it, which it's, you know, it's, it's always, it's, it, it's a shame for everybody involved with a production to be punished for, for one bad egg. And, and, and you know, and in this case, I mean, you know, the bad egg was the director who generally speaking in, in, in most productions is, you know, is, is, is the leader. Um, but, uh, you know, Brian Singer, again, uh, you know, we weren't there, but nobody is disputing it that, he wasn't showing up all that much, even when he was on the job. Eventually, he got fired. You know, they brought in a, 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 a I forget the name. I think it was in one of the articles that I shared, but you know, brought in a, a new director to finish who didn't get credited because of the rules of a, of, of the director's guild. And essentially, it comes down to the the percentage of how much of the movie was made by by one director. And so Brian Singer gets sole credit in the credits. And so, so when you watch the movie, you know his his name. He's credited, you know, directed by Brian Singer. Outside of his name appearing in the movie, you know, he's been absolutely absent from from the award season, from awards campaigning, from interviews, even from Rami Malek, who um, I don't I, I don't think that he's talked about him really uh, in interviews. But again, by all accounts, from things that he has maybe talked about behind the scenes or shared, he had a a very very difficult relationship with Brian Singer. So in, in a lot of ways, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, I almost feel like in some ways it's being celebrated because the fact that it turned out to be as good as it is, it's almost a miracle considering, you know, all the, you know, all the things that were kind of going wrong um, behind the scenes. So, so, so again, I, I, I'm very, so uh, I, the first time I saw it, I, um, I loved it with a small L I didn't think it was going to get any awards love. The fact that it is getting awards love doesn't make me mad at all. 
I wasn't expecting it, but I was pleasantly surprised with the the awards season love. And um, and I don't think it's going to win Best Picture, but you know what? At this point, no. it, 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 yeah, I wouldn't be at this point. I wouldn't be shocked. I don't expect it to, but you know, who the fuck knows? Except we do know, and it probably yeah. Won't. I I mean, I I would be shocked, but um, <laughs> and I do just want to say briefly, you know, I don't I don't like to get too serious here, but I I just think it is worth worth noting because I I did spend quite a bit of time reading this article that you sent me, and again, it is quite long. I probably read it for an hour, and it's just atrocity after atrocity after atrocity, and all of these men who were boys at the time, um, they are speaking anonymously for fear of any sort of recrimination. And the two men who were named, who did bring public lawsuits forward, their lives have basically been shattered by one reason or another. So I think it is a sad commentary that the Me Too movement has come so far. And even that was only really bolstered by A-list celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow and Salma Hayek and some others speaking up against Harvey Weinstein and some other people, that it takes A-list celebrities to to make change because you would think that with all the change that's been made that brian singer would be completely taken down and even though his reputation is not so good right now he's not on to direct a movie right now and the people who did come forward who did name themselves their reputation and their lives have been dragged through the gutter and so it's no wonder why so many of his accusers have gone anonymous so it's just it was just very very sad a sad commentary on society to me to read that article and so again i, I don't want to bump people out too much this is a fun podcast but i just thought if we're talking about brian singer and bohemian rhapsody this had to be mentioned yeah and just just to put one more cherry on the sad sunday um you know because you know because he is the the, the director on the film and so that um uh you know contractually uh gives him you know he has certain points on the movie Bohemian Rhapsody has been just an overwhelming success. And so from what I've read, uh, Brian Singer stands to earn $40 million just from the box office success of Bohemian Rhapsody. So why don't we talk about Black Panther? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a, the perfect movie to talk about next. I agree. I agree. So so with Black Panther, uh, I so, so, so first of all, I love Black Panther. I, I have a difficult time... Um, separating my feelings about Black Panther with the Oscars because as as it's been documented on this podcast and as Liz well knows, I love superhero movies. Like I'm totally in the bag. I'm a total mark for superhero movies. And, and that said, for me, you know, Black Panther represents, you know, the the best possible version of a of a comic book superhero movie. So so for me, I'm, you know, absolutely this should be included in, in the nominations but Liz is a much better barometer because you don't watch these movies at all so you're able to come to Black Panther without just an with, without you know 40 years of adoration for comic books and superheroes and and comic book movies uh you know which I have you you can watch it from the slate of I don't watch these movies at all so, so I would love to hear your thoughts and then, then I'll get into mine after that. Well, I would love to share them. Um, so this movie came out quite a while, a while ago. It came out before we recorded our Oscars podcast last year. Yeah, it was a that's a year old at this point. 
It's, uh, yeah, beginning of 2018 movie. And I believe I said on our last Oscars podcast, I'm never watching this movie <laughs> because because I don't like superhero movies. And it's just, I've, I've been told, oh, but this one's different, but this one's different so many times. And it's just lip service. No, it's not. Deadpool's not different than every other superhero movie. Suicide Squad wasn't different than any other superhero movie. So I wasn't going to watch this. And yes, there was some early days mumblings about oh black panther might get nominated for best picture and i'm like look until the fall film festivals hit any movie that's been released that has been predicted as maybe getting a nomination for best picture i feel like that's just pundits twiddling their thumbs for something to do until the oscar season really kicks off because so many of these movies as good as they are that come out in at the beginning of the year they most 99.9 percent of them don't have any shot at an Oscar nomination. It's just the truth. And everyone was saying the same things about Wonder Woman the year before, and that didn't get any major nominations, if any nominations. So I was like, whatever, I'm not I'm not paying attention to this. It's certainly not going to make me go see a superhero movie that I don't want to go see. But then the nomination really stuck around, and it was really prevalent during the whole um, popular film controversy. And when I was talking to you, Martin, you told me a little bit more about the movie. And then I thought, oh, shit, that sounds kind of good. Like, it sound it sounded like a deeper movie than a lot of these superhero things. And um, with real commentary on the world and ethnocentrism and, and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, and I remember thinking, if this wasn't a superhero movie, I would totally be watching it. <laughs> um <clears throat> But then I, I thought, and um, among the reasons last year why I didn't watch Dunkirk, part of it is because I just don't want to watch it. But I was freaking busy last year. I was I had just started my um, yoga uh, teacher training, so my my life was just so chaotic. So I didn't really have time to watch too much. Whereas this year, I have had the time, and I thought okay, I, I really do want to see all these movies that are going to get nominated for Best Picture. And at this point, Black Panther is pretty much a guarantee to get the Best Picture nomination. And it's on Netflix, so what the heck, I'm going to watch it. So I did. And I have to say, I enjoyed it. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I did enjoy it. And, and what I enjoyed it for were all, all the reasons that you said with the story of, of Wakanda and... And, and the, the moral question at the heart of the story, which is, do we hide away completely and keep ourselves strong while letting the world burn around us? Or do we help out and risk exposure and, and weakening ourselves? And, and what is the answer to that? And that, that you can't have this perfect system as embodied by uh, what's Michael B. Jordan's character, Eric Killmonger, because he is someone who is a victim and a result of Wakanda trying to keep this perfect society. And all those philosophical, moral questions I was fascinated by. And I feel like they did an excellent job of exploring it. So I completely agree with what you said on our episode 195, that it does transcend the genre. And that being said, I did not care a lick for any of the action sequences and the car chases <laughs> and the fancy suit and the dangerous substance that ends in IUM. And I don't understand why vibranium has nothing to do with satisfying a woman. And so all that stuff, 
I, that that's what prevents me from loving the movie. And it's a personal choice thing is that I just don't care for that stuff. But I get that you have to have it because it is a superhero movie. So it's doing its job. And I would argue that even what I did see, it was absolutely nothing original. So for people to say it's better, uh, the one of the best superhero movies on a superhero level, I'm not a superhero expert. I didn't see anything very special there. For me, what was special about it was all this moral questioning and the deeper story and the villain because Michael B. Jordan was a fantastic villain and a great character. So that's my take on Black Panther. No. And, and, and by the way, even though it's, it's, it's essentially the only superhero movie that, that, that you've watched, although, I mean, you referenced Deadpool and, and Suicide Squad. So, you know, you've seen a couple, but and you I don't... watched the, um, the Batman ones, the Chris Nolan trilogy. I watched yeah, those ones. Which, 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 yeah. And those are, those are outstanding. Uh, you know, in, in, overall. Um, but that said, your opinion of, of Black Panther, I think it, it's really, it, it, it's pretty accurate in terms of, say, the, the, the superhero-weeness of it from the, the costumes and the action. Um, there, there There's nothing, I mean, there's, there's nothing especially special about it in terms of the, the you know, the, the, the best superhero movies, the, you know, the, the the action and the and the and the costumes and and a lot of the other dressing um they're they're all pretty much on par with with Black Panther and really for me you know like action scenes I don't dislike them but it's uh, you know ironically it's not really what I it's not really what I care about with with superhero movies and in fact um if the action if the action scenes are, are too long I just kind of I, I zone out until, you know, they start talking again. Yeah, it's so, a movie life hack for me to, if I have to go to the bathroom in a movie, I wait till a car chase scene and go then because you never miss anything. Every car chase is the same. Yeah, yeah. Like, like just as an example, Man of Steel, which which uh, comic book nerds in large parts disliked it. I loved Man of Steel, but there's like a, like a legit, no exaggeration, like a 30-minute fight scene in the third act that I, that I was just like, just painfully, you know, became tedious for me, but I still love that movie. Um, or, or like in the star Wars movies, I, it, it, which, which I love the star Wars movies, but anytime there's like a big outer space fight scene, not only do I get sort of zoned out and confused, even when I try to pay attention, I'm just not good at keeping up with it. So I rely entirely on close-ups of the actors' faces. So I just see like shoot, 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 things blowing up and I need you to show me a close-up of our hero's face smiling so I'm like oh good something good happened I don't know what it was <laughs> it's like me watching Friday Night Lights <laughs> when something would happen there'd be a football game and I was completely dependent on the audience reactions to whether it was a good thing for our team or a bad thing because I had no idea <laughs> so 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 your so your feelings on that you're, you're pretty much right like Black Panther um the, you know the the, all those other comic book movie um, accessories, they're they're great, but they're on par with other great comic book movies that have done it. And what makes the movie special is the the story and the character and the and the ph- philosophical ideas and the tough questions, which the movie doesn't have an answer to, which is appropriate. It just presents some you know some tough questions and makes difficult observations. The Michael G, uh, Michael uh, Michael What's his middle initial? B. B. Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I, Nailed I, it. I was almost I was almost there. You know, his character is. Wouldn't 
26 chance. <laughs> uh, you know, his, his character is, you know, for me, very much at, at the heart of the movie and the story being told because, you know, as far as, you know, as far as the template, he's the villain. But but he's such he's you know there's so many layers to his character as the story gets told as you learn more about him you know he's a villain because of his actions there's there's definitely an anger behind his actions but then when you get to the root of his anger you know you're not it it becomes this gray area of like well fuck you know what he's he kind of have he kind of has a reason to be angry and even you know T'Challa our hero he even recognizes that. And there, the scene that I always think about, it's not even in my, it's not even a scene that the movie hinges on. Maybe it does in some ways. Whenever I think about Black Panther, the first scene I always go to is T'Challa in that sort of other world, talking to the dead. He's not quite dead. He's half dead, half alive, but he's you know able to connect with the you know with the afterlife, and he's having a conversation with his father. And at this point, he he understands that. Uh, you know, Killmonger, you know, that that by by his birthright should be part of Wakanda. And he was left in Oakland, California, which Liz doesn't know this, but I can tell you from having uh, been through Oakland, that's not where you want to get left off uh, if you're getting dropped off uh, generally somewhere in America. And so, so, so whenever I think about Black Panther, I always think about T'Challa just with this pain look on his face, talking to his dad, asking, why did you leave the boy? And, and and so much of that is is you know at the at the, you know at the heart of this movie, and um and so 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 superhero wise, it it's great, but it doesn't do anything better than the Avengers do or that the Captain America movies do, which are great by the way, or the Iron Man movies do, which are great by the way. Um, oh, I did. I saw the first Iron Man movie and the third one, I think, and I fell asleep in the third one, and it's not because I was tired. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say, how dare you, but leave it at that. Um, <laughs> so, so superhero wise, it's on par with the best superhero movies, but because, but then like story wise, character wise, it, you know, it, it rises above them because it does tell an engaging story that taps into some very important, uh, questions about culture and race and, and, and actually one of the, and so, so this, so I'm going to make a point that's not my point, but I loved it so much. I want to share it on this podcast. And it comes again from Mark Bernardin, who, uh, who during Bohemian Rhapsody, I was talking about how angry I was with him for having such a bitchy opinion about Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, but, uh, I was listening to him the other day and, uh, and so he loves Black Panther and uh, for him, it was a very emotional experience, particularly, I don't know if I mentioned it before. So, so he's, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's African-American. And so one of the, one of the emotional things for him that resonates about Black Panther, which resonated with a lot of people, not just, not just, uh, not just black people, but, but a, a lot of people who are, who are immigrants, a lot of people who, who've left their country and, and, and they've made a life somewhere else. Um, one of the things that resonated with him in a big emotional way is that, um, if it you know if if you live in America, even if you were born in America, most most every person who has uh, immigrants in their bloodline, they can trace it back somewhere. They can place it back to a country, to uh, a city, to a village. Um, but if you're African American, uh, with the exception of 
generally knowing that you're descended from from Africa, you you don't you don't really have you don't really have like a a magical mythical place that your grandparents talked about, um, you know, growing up that you can that you can go visit. And so what Wakanda represented for him was even though it was fictional, it was this beautiful dream of a place that it, it was sort of uh, that uh, again it was fictional but it represented a place that that you know that that he and uh that the, the he wished that he that the he had that didn't exist and even though it's a movie and even though it's based on a comic book uh it, you know it still resonated resonated with him in, in in a very big way and I actually heard a podcast, uh, a wonderful podcast. It's called Today Explained. I don't know if you've ever heard of this one. Yeah. And so it uh, comes on a Monday through Fridays, really short 20-minute episodes. What they do is they just take, like, current event issues and they just explain them in very digestible ways so you can just be, like, on top of whatever is happening in the world. I like it a lot. So they did an episode about Black Panther because at that point it was a huge global phenomenon so they were kind of digging into, you know, it's not the first comic book movie, but it's clearly tapped into something. What's different about this one? And so the host of the show, he's um, uh, Indian. Uh, you know, he's grew up in America, but he came, you know, immigrated from India. So he's not African-American, but Black Panther still brought him to tears because he resonated with this idea of, you know, leaving a place, starting a new life, but, you know, wishing you could, you know, uh, in some ways, go back to you know this this other place that um, where you know ultimately your heritage is is connected to. Um, but, but the point I wanted to make that's not mine it belongs to Mark Bernardin that that, that I really love that I'm going to share. So so uh, I'm angry at him for his Bohemian Rhapsody bitching, but I love this point that he made as far as Black Panther being nominated for an Academy Award is that traditionally, when a movie that represents a black story is nominated for an Academy Award, it's ultimately a story of pain or anguish or tragedy. And in large parts, it gets nominated because it's a story about pain or anguish or tragedy. And Black Panther is none of those things. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's a full on celebration and it doesn't succeed because of, you know, um, slavery or oppression or civil rights, uh, racism. It's, it's just an overall celebration and it's a joyful movie. And, and that as much as anything else is really heartening about uh, seeing it get nominated for, for an Academy Award. And I've just been waiting for a superhero movie to get nominated <laughs> anyway, because it's, because I, you know, I, I, I could probably make a list of ones that I thought were good enough, but I'm also glad that, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very happy to see that Black Panther was a was the first. Yeah, me too. And um, I will say that I don't think it's going to win Best me, Picture. Me neither. Um, and uh, however, nor- normally it would be very, very, very hard to win Best Picture when you have no nominees in the acting categories, and it's not it doesn't have director or a screenplay. So, so it's it's facing an uphill battle, but I think it, its win is the nomination, and it also won the SAG for best ensemble. So that that's huge for it. But I, I think this is pretty much the end of the line for Black Panther. I agree, and that SAG win was actually my however because I didn't think it was gonna, I didn't think that the 
the you know, it was going to become a front runner. But my first thought was the actors represent the highest percentage of voters in the Academy. And they just voted for Black Panther for essentially the SAG version of Best Picture, which is best, you know, best ensemble cast. Um, so I thought, you know, I don't know that it's going to win it all of a sudden, but it, it might, you know, like we we never see a list of, you know, um, basically what movies came in second, third, fourth and so on. But I wouldn't be surprised to find out that Black Panther finishes in the top three or four of of voting but i agree the nomination is the win and black this is this is the exact reason they extended the awards from eight to ten you know ten years ago is so a movie <laughs> like black panther could fucking get some attention and you know and so for comic book movie fans like me i don't need it to win i'm just so fucking excited that uh you know uh our our you know my my probably my favorite genre got represented that it feels it feels like a goddamn win. Yeah, and I and for the academy looking at all these changes and whether they're going to bring ratings or not. Look at these nominees that we just talked about: A Star Is Born, Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Panther. At least three of those movies have done huge bank at the box office. Yeah, and that's kind of harkening back to the days of Titanic when movies that were nominated for best picture did huge box office bank and it wasn't just these little indie movies though i'm happy to see them getting some love too i think what really sells an oscars isn't which host it is isn't is it going to be four and a half hours or is it going to be three hours i think it's do i have a vested interest in the movies that are nominated and i think a lot of people do this year yeah and i think also to uh uh a big part of the backlash of the initial idea of introducing uh, category for most popular film i think it was you know i think a big part of that backlash was it was making official um a bias that that we always kind of knew existed which is yeah a movie can't be a box office a box office success and an artistic success at the same time you have to choose if you made a lot of money chances are you weren't that good of a movie um but if you're a really really great movie you probably made fifty thousand dollars at the box office, uh, and so so when they announced that award, it was it was like they were going to make official. Some movies make a lot of money; other movies are great art, but but they can't be the same. So exactly. so so you know, Star Is Born, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Panther, those movies by themselves, fuck, I don't know, but they probably made like half a trillion dollars at this point. Um, and even though that was an exaggerated number, it's probably not far off. So, so it's also <laughs> heartening to see that, you know, a, a movie shouldn't be discounted artistically just because it made a lot of money and it connected with, you know, um, a, a big, a big mass audience. I completely agree with you. So let's talk about Vice. And, yes. And, so, so Chanel is, I, I was hoping to get her on the podcast, even for just, uh, a few moments before she uh, before she left for work, um, she ended up leaving before we recorded. Um, what I can say though is, so we so we've seen Vice once. We'll see it again next uh, next Saturday for day two of the Best Picture Showcase. Um, I have not seen Chanel in, in in quite a while aggressively hate a movie as much as she hates Vice. Wow. Like we want not only Oh my god. She hated it so much that I was I think whether she meant to or not, I think I was actually getting 
blamed for the movie because I <laughs> because I wanted to watch it. And so so some of some of her hate for Vice was like I could feel it coming back on me because like you know you wanted to watch this fucking movie, and uh, and and so and she was so she was so I I, I don't think she was surprised. But she was still disappointed when it was nominated because it meant it was going to be in the showcase. And she was ready to boycott it in the showcase. She was ready to just, like, not watch that movie in the showcase. To where, like, last night I was, like, trying to, like, trying to soften her hard feelings. I was like, you know, I'll bet you you're going to like it a lot more the second time around. Because, you know, in my brain, I just need that to be true because I don't need, <laughs> I can't, I don't want you to, it, 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 starts, it starts day two, so, like, I I don't I don't want day two to, to be soured by how much she hates Vice. I really do think she's gonna like it more the second time around. But by the same token, um, she's not into you know politics in general. She's not really that into movies about politics. She's not that into um, black. So like on a scale of Black Panther to to Vice, they're absolute absolute two ends of the spectrum. Black Panther, she was just overwhelmingly in love with Black Panther. She can't wait to watch it again. Vice aggressively hated it, is 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 spiteful that she has to watch it again. So I'll start with her th- her, her thoughts because I think she'll appreciate me sharing that. Um I I enjoyed Vice. Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't um Why uh, did Chanel hate it? Uh you know what? I think I asked her about it because I, I wanted some details uh, just overall, just like it's a combination of, I, I think it's a combination of I don't care about these movies, and probably also in some in some in some respects, um, she and I were both uh, young adults, college students. Uh, we were we were both college students, and then eventually uh, young working adults. So in very important, impressionable parts of our lives. We lived through the presidency of George Bush uh, and really Dick Cheney, and it, and it wasn't a great experience. There might have right. been some. There might have been some of that involved. But even if it wasn't that, like, you know, like, um, I, I, you, we could throw you know the post in there. We could throw Dunkirk in there. We could throw, uh, um, oh, I'm drawing some blanks on others. Uh, she 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 didn't see Spotlight because that was one of the only years that we didn't get to do the showcase. So she just didn't watch it so so in general uh movies that that sort of uh rest on you know uh political storylines um in general even though from my point of view uh as far as political movies go vice is also very fun and very inventive she just she just just uh, again, I don't even like bringing it up around her anymore because I don't want to reignite the hate because it is just so fucking right there. So when I brought it up last night, it was at the end of the, it was it was the end of day one, and I was giving myself a seven day head start to try to soften her hard feelings. So when we get to day two, she'll be a little bit open to to to, to a second viewing. I liked it very very much. I didn't like the the big short. I loved. So whether it's fair or not, because it's the same filmmaker and there's similar uh, aesthetics, I put them together in my mind. So compared to The Big Short, I love The Big Short a lot more, but I still enjoyed um, Vice 
a lot, certainly more than Chanel did. <laughs> what, are, what are some of your immediate thoughts? Well, when it comes to the types of movies that Chanel doesn't like that you mentioned, like a political movie, The Post, that kind of thing, I completely empathize. Um, and if last year, the same time last year, you were to tell me a little bit about all the nominees this year, like you're from the future or something, and you said, yeah, one, one of the Best Picture nominees is going to be a Dick Cheney biopic, I would throw my head in the air, cast my gaze <laughs> heavenwards, and go, because ah. like Chanel, I hate those kinds of movies. You tell me Adam McKay is directing this movie, all of a sudden that changes everything. I want to see it. I love Adam McKay's vision and his style, and I loved what he did with The Big Short, and I loved what he did with Vice here. I very much enjoyed this movie like you. I really want to disagree on a movie with you, Martin, because <laughs> Matt said we agree too much, but so far I pretty much agree with you across the board on all these movies. Like maybe like the stars born a little better than me, but, but okay, so with Vice, I know that it did not get the same love that The Big Short did because The Big Short had very clever ways of explaining very dry um, financial fiduciary terms to to the viewer and vice had that a little bit but it was mainly doing these sort of meta outlandish things for the comedy of it and i think a lot of people felt that was self-congratulatory and i'm like well yeah if you can pull it off be as self-congratulatory as you want i loved all that stuff i love the fake ending and all of it just i was just i was enraptured in a story about dick cheney which is not something I would ever picture myself saying. And on top of that, the performances were fantastic. Christian Bale, oh my God, we'll talk about him a little bit. But compared to last year's, uh, fucking, what's his name? Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill. To me, that was a like a beautiful costume piece. With this, this was a transformation to me. Yeah, and, I agree. And, and, and the scene of him and... And Amy Adams quoting Shakespeare, I thought was brilliant. And I was so engaged with this material because I was laughing so much. And I was um, at a, a just a get together, like a wine and cheese thing a couple weeks ago. And I was talking about the nominees with some people. And one woman was saying that um, she doesn't want to see Vice because um, like she just doesn't think she could handle the subject matter. Because Dick Cheney is known for um, basically legalizing military torture and some very unsavory things. And um, I said, honestly, like, I couldn't believe this movie. I was laughing so hard. And she's just like, well, I don't think that's the kind of thing that we should be laughing at. And do I think torture is funny? No, I don't. But in terms of a narrative film, I'd like to compare Vice somewhat to Itania, where they're talking about very dark, disturbing subject matter. But instead of just giving us this like straight on dry take on the matter in which I would totally disengage and get bored and stop paying attention because I am laughing so much and I cannot take my eyes off these outlandish characters. What the severity of what is going on resonates with me on such a deeper level because I am being entertained so much. And that was me for the entire two hours and 12 minutes of ice. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, it's, it's, you know, for me, and again, I, I, I think I've, uh, a fairly represented Chanel's opinion. And honestly, if she were here to say it, she would probably word it even more strongly than I did. Um, 
But yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was very inventive, very creative. If if it if it um, was hurt by anything, it would be that. Be, it would basically be that it shares the same aesthetics with the Big Short, which is not a bad thing. But with the Big Short, we hadn't seen it before. Adam McKay was doing something very new for the first time, and so it was both funny and inventive, and also fresh. And so then he basically took that template and applied it to the Dick Cheney story, which, again, it's still very fun. But I think in the sense that, you know, whether it was meant to or not, whether it's fair or not, I think, it, you know, it's going to draw very obvious comparisons to the big short. And so because we saw it before, it, it doesn't benefit from that same fresh, wow, we've never seen this, this you know, aesthetic of, of storytelling before. But that said, it still, you know, it, it, it still works for me. It was still fun. It was still entertaining. It was still taking, you know, this, you know, even though he's alive, you know, a historical, you know, figure who, who, uh, it, who, as you alluded to, there's nothing about Dick Cheney that would lead you to believe that there's uh, an entertaining movie to be told about his story. So in and of itself, that's kind of a, a, a very impressive victory for Adam McKay. I think so too. And I think with when you're talking about these stylistic things compared to the big short, I think a lot of people's criticism of Vice draws on not just that it's kind of the same thing over again, which I disagree with, um, but in the big short, there were terms that were critical to understanding the plot that were very complicated. And so for them explaining them the way they did was very inventive and helped us to understand the plot. Whereas with Vice, there was a little bit of that, but mainly the sort of extra stylized things they did were just for style's sake. And I think people thought that was a little vain. Um, but again, I think it worked. I enjoyed watching it. So all good by me. And I mean, are we going to criticize, like, I don't know, give me another filmmaker. Like, is I don't know, is, is Ryan Coogler doing Black Panther 2? So if Black Panther 1 is like Black Panther 2, are we going to criticize that for being too similar? No, because it works. So just because it's something that we're not used to seeing, I don't know. I loved it. And I think that um, I'm pretty sure it's the front runner to, like, it's completely disappeared from the conversation of any major award totally. of all the movies of on this Best Picture list. I think it has the least chance. But it does, it is the front runner to win Best Editing, which I think it wholeheartedly deserves. Oh, yeah, I could totally see that. I, I can see that very well. And it almost... Uh... It almost was going to be during the commercials, too. So that's yeah, uh, now it's going to be live. <laughs> it's like a double win. Uh, yeah. So I, I saw this one um, right around the time it came out. It was right around Christmas time. So I haven't seen it for a few months. I have positive memories of it. So but as I it's not a movie that it, in, in the way that like Green Book stayed with me for several days, like it I enjoyed it so much. It had such a strong impact on me. That days after I saw it, I was still thinking about it. With Vice, I didn't have that experience, so I'm inclined to say, yeah, I liked it a lot. I don't know if I loved it, but I liked it a lot. But I'm also holding out that I'm going to see it again next Saturday um, to see, you know, if if uh, if if how I how I feel about it on a second viewing. That said, um, uh, I I I liked it with a big L. I liked it very much, um, and I and I look forward to to watching it again uh, as opposed to Chanel who. I might literally have to drag kicking and screaming to 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 kick off day two with a please with film bus. that <laughs> uh, definitely absolutely 
And would Vice be considered a period piece? It's funny, right? I, it, like, what? Because it's, because it's, it, it uh, kind of like in my mind, it's very contemporary because that both 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 the uh, uh, presidential administration that it represents and that time period that it represents for me, it's still very immediate. Like, I, it's still even though it's strange to me to think that, like. Like Barack Obama's presidency didn't feel like eight years; it felt like three and a half years, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you know, and, and so then you know Bush and Cheney, it's weird to me to think that that was like a whole two administrations ago, and I and I have very clear memories of when George Bush won because I, I was actually at Chanel's house at, well, at her parents' house. Uh, we were, um, we were, like. I guess we were about a year into our relationship. Um, I was uh, I was I was studying at uh, Cal State San Bernardino. I was a university student. I think Chanel was uh, at the community college at that point, and the internet was definitely up and running, but registering to vote wasn't nearly as accessible. It wasn't impossible, but I'd never registered to vote, and it was. It was the first election that I was legally able to vote for, and I couldn't figure out how to register. And I even went to MTV.com because they had like the whole Rock the Vote campaign. I was going everywhere to try to figure out how to register to vote, and I did, I couldn't. I it wasn't. I I could I I couldn't register in time. So sorry. You I, didn't I, vote. No, I didn't. So oh my god. So I so so in the year two thousand, uh, November of two thousand, I was sitting in Chanel's living room watching the election results, um, you know, feeling very powerless because I, I I couldn't vote in my first election that I was legally allowed to vote for, who, you know, for, for you know, I, I would have voted for, for Al Gore that year. Um, and, and, and my vote wouldn't have mattered ultimately because we were in California. California is, is a very, you know, politically very liberal. Um, so Al Gore won California's vote. So, I mean, it, it so my vote would have just kind of gone onto that pile, but I still very clearly remembering that, like the feeling of like, I know my vote wouldn't really matter, but I, I feel like I didn't have a say ultimately in this election. Uh, but I, but I also left, I didn't feel optimistic, but I remember thinking like, you know what, this might turn out to be all right. It didn't, but I remember thinking like driving home, this this you know I'm gonna yeah this might turn out to be all right, and then it was sort of a. Uh, you know, de- depending on which side of the fence you were on, but a lot of people were on the same side that I was on, which was it was kind of a disappointing eight years, uh, which um, which took almost down to the day eight years of Barack Obama to sort of cleanse our cleanse our palates. And then, um, well, well, that sort of swung a whole nother way. But again, you know, uh, uh, we don't have to get too political, but I, I guess to answer your question, I think it is a period movie. But it's still, it's such a, historically, it's so contemporary in my mind, it feels like five minutes ago, but really it's, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, and, yeah, no. Sorry, go ahead. I don't know, and even more than that, when they get into his, into the early Dick Cheney years. 
Yeah. Well, I was going to, the only, like the only reason I asked this question is because I was, you, you guys were in college. I was in high school when most of this stuff was going on, like the, the vice presidency and all that. Yeah. And so I'm like, if, if it, if we consider this a period piece and I was in high school, that is so depressing. <laughs> oh, wow. You know what? For that reason, it is, it is not a period piece. Absolutely not. Works for me. Okay. Okay. That's what makes you sleep. Moving on. <laughs> Uh, so, so, so that's five movies. So we've got three left. <clears throat> uh, Black Klansman is what we're going to talk about next. This movie I saw for the very first time yesterday afternoon. So my opinion is actually very fresh on this movie. Uh, okay. I loved Black Klansman. Absolutely loved it. And, uh, and, and, and Chanel loved Black Klansman. I feel like I, you know, given that, uh, she shit on, uh, Vice, uh, you know, via, me sharing her thoughts i'll also share she absolutely loved black Klansman. i i love black Klansman. it's been a little while since i've seen a, a spike lee movie or a spike lee joint if you will and especially when i was in my uh early 20s i adored spike lee um i was very much uh something of a spike lee completist i tried to watch everything that he did i tried to go back and watch the movies i hadn't seen yet i tried to keep up with the movies he was putting out um but similar to, say, Woody Allen, he puts out a movie pretty much every year, like Clockwork. So it's just my 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 ability to keep up finally waned. So so I catch every couple of Spike Lee movies. Um, so I hadn't seen Black Klansmen. I had a feeling I would enjoy it just because I enjoy Spike Lee's movies. I enjoy his sensibilities in general. But even for a Spike, this movie was interesting because... It had all the it had all the trappings of a Spike Lee movie, but there was something there was something about it that uh, I don't even know how to explain it. It felt it felt different, but not in a bad way. Like it had a lot of the it had a lot of the visual aesthetics, it had a lot of the the, the storytelling aesthetics, but there was something about you know what it was. I think so. So Spike Lee, he's also very outspoken. He's a very outspoken advocate for uh, civil rights in the black community. And some of his movies uh, can be, they, and, you know, they can be, you know, for better or worse, they can, they can be very heavy handed uh, in, in terms of how they represent uh, his feelings. Black Klansman, I thought was very interesting because um, the, the if there's heroes and villains, uh, the villains are definitely the KKK. The heroes are, are, are definitely, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the activists, uh, you know, primarily the, you know, African-American characters who, you know, on, on the side of black activism. And yet there was there was points in the movie where he wasn't saying that one side is more right or more wrong than the other, but he did provide some interesting juxtapositions. Uh, the one that comes to mind is, you know, seeing uh, the, 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 the Klan chanting you know, white power and immediately cutting to uh, a, a, a rally like a, it wasn't a Black Panther rally but it was like a um, you know pseudo Black Panther rally well, that, that, none of that came out correctly Black <laughs> Panther rally uh, chanting you know black power and and, 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 it, and it wasn't necessarily you know like like when I watch it in my mind I, I, I know which side I root for but it was still a fascinating thing to see in juxtaposition. Uh, uh, but but that's not even the best example. There was something about this movie that felt slightly different 
almost um i don't know maybe, maybe like like he's evolved or something as a storyteller um well fuck i can't i whatever it was and, and you know what that's not a bad I thing i think i think what what it is is that he's making such strong points in a way that appeals to an entertaining hollywood sensibility but not glossing over the severity of what's going on yeah i, I think that's good i think that's great in fact that's exactly what i was going to say you, you beat me to it <laughs> but yeah that, that's that's exactly what i was going to say so what what are some of your thoughts about uh, black klansman <sighs> okay well i have to say that black klansman is my favorite movie oh good hands good. down Man, that was a, that was that was excellent work on your part because I didn't know where that was going. So I did that to you with Lady Bird last year, and so I had to keep the tradition alive. But oh my god, I, I loved this movie so much, and I didn't. I I knew I wanted to see it. I knew that um, it was at the Cannes Film Festival, and and people really liked it. And um, I didn't. I obviously knew who Spike Lee was. I think the only movie I'd seen prior to Black Klansman was Do the Right Thing. And so I didn't know him too well as a filmmaker. I, I more knew his reputation more than his film style, which his reputation is being very outspoken and speaking his mind and all this. And um, and so when Black Klansman came out, it got very good reviews and people were saying, oh, it's going to get a Best Picture nomination and maybe some acting nominations too. And again, it was the summer. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just twiddling your thumbs until we get to the film, fall film festivals. I don't really listen to any of that buzz until um, until uh, like the fall film festivals happen. I just don't listen to it. But that being said, I was interested in film. And Matt and I, um, we went to the movies to see it. We actually didn't plan to see this movie. We wanted to get tickets to The Meg, um, <laughs> which we wound up seeing later, and it's awful. Um, but The Meg was sold out, and uh, so I said, well, why don't we see Black Klansman? And Matt said, okay, fine. So, so we sit down to go see it. So Matt's like, tell me about this movie. I have no idea about it. So I kind of told him what it was about. He's like, is there any humor to it? I'm like, well, I mean, Spike Lee is a pretty serious guy, so I, I don't know. And we were laughing so hard throughout this movie. And again, it's it's a movie like Vice. I, I like movies that I would describe as outrageous, that the in which the characters are behaving in these ways that are just either so awful or hysterical or hysterically awful but you total totally believe that these people would do this in real life you know you're you don't feel like you're watching characters you're watching real people and just just the 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 adventures that they went on and and the the dynamics on the force versus on the street versus when ron stallworth is is with um the activists and it just it, it just blends together so beautifully and i i like how hollywood it is and i feel that this is why we go to the movies how many people had a good time watching 12 years of slave anyone not this anyone? guy no exactly and 12 years of slave had important things to say but i think black Klansman exquisitely illustrates that you can say important things you can say disturbing things you can say there's a problem and things aren't okay and you can do it in a way that is entertaining as hell to watch and that when you do it in such a masterful way you earn what happened at the end which is showing real live footage of a real tragedy and that doesn't feel heavy-handed at all because you just spent the past two hours and 10 minutes or so 
giving us a, again, masterful story. I was glued. I was hooked. As soon as we got out of the movie, I was on my phone recommending it to people. I loved this movie so much. If it won Best Picture, I would be so happy. I don't think it has, I, I think it has a small chance, but I don't think it's going to win. But that is my overall take on Black Klansman. Yeah, I, I, I love your take. I loved it. And so so the funny thing is, um, well, like I said earlier, I haven't been able to like decide what my favorite movie is. Um, my, I've been having trouble putting Black Klansman at the top of my list only because I wasn't expecting it to be there. Uh, I didn't think I would dislike it. I know that I like Spike Lee movies. I was fully prepared to enjoy it. And I love it so much. And I think because I just saw it yesterday, I feel like, I almost feel like I'm betraying the other movies that I love because I've spent more time with them. But the truth is, it does jump very high on my list right away. Of the movies that I saw at day one at the showcase, uh, which were uh, uh, the favorite Bohemian Rhapsody and Black Klansman were the movies that we saw yesterday. Um, it was, it, it was, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it's probably my favorite movie uh, of, of day one of the showcase and of the eight nominated movies. It's, it's, it's definitely high on my list. I haven't made a, I haven't made a decision yet, but I love hearing how much you love it. Um, and if, if you've only, if you've only seen one other Spike Lee movie, I mean, do the right thing. That's, that's the appropriate one to see. Completely. And um, I just, yeah, well, I just, the, the movie, it just makes me excited. It makes me feel alive. And it makes me care about the world that I didn't before. But I just, it, it inspires so much in me as a writer, as an artist, and as a human being. And I don't know how many movies I can say that about, let alone the movies on this list. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. That's And, and, and as, as we get into it, as, as we think about, you know, the Academy Awards, what what gets nominated, what movies are, are, are honored, um, I, you know, I'm sure for every voter, they have different criteria. Um, and so so for me, you know, I, I don't necessarily have any concrete criteria, but I am biased towards movies that that can, you know, um, express really big, important ideas and entertain me at the same time. If you can, if you, if you can do those two things, then, then, you know, I'm not going to have any trouble with you being represented in the, in the Academy Awards. And I think Black Klansman does both of those things expertly. I couldn't agree more. Uh, let's get to our next movie, which yes. is The Favorite. So so similar to Black Klansman, I saw this for the first time yesterday. This was this this actually opened up day one, so my opinions on it are, are still pretty fresh. Um, I had some so going into it. By the time I saw it, by the time I saw it yesterday, um, I, I'd been through all of award seasons, seasons. I like the, I've been all, through all of award season. <laughs> you know, watched the you know the SAG Awards, the uh, the BAFTA Awards, the Golden Globes. Um, uh, I missed the People's Choice Awards, but I think I just forgot to DVR. It I don't think I was... anyone really gives a shit about the People's Choice Awards. Yeah, probably not. I, I wanted to watch it just because I, I was so excited to have cable. I was going to watch everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I've seen it. I've seen all the places where it was honored in award season. I've seen all the the positive criticism 
of it, reviews of it. Um, so I knew going into it that it was uh, it was it was a movie that was both looking at a a relatively dry historical period, but making it funny. Um, I also kind of made a point of I wanted to know as little, little as I could about it. So so I didn't I didn't even re- I didn't re- I didn't read the synopsis about it. I didn't really know in any substantive way what it was about. So I wanted I wanted all that to be as fresh as, as fresh as I could uh, make it. Nope. Okay, uh, I I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. You there? I can hear you now. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So, <clears throat> so yeah, having, I just cut in and out for a little bit, but I think you're back now. So having said all of that, I don't. I I have no idea how much of that affected my my experience of it, but my experience of the favorite is I liked it, and I have and I don't regret watching it. I'll probably never watch it again, but I but 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 I but I liked it. Um, I liked, uh, the performances certainly for me were the, the standout victory of the movie. Yeah. Emma, uh, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz and, uh, Olivia, something help me out. Coleman. Coleman. Uh, they were terrific individually. Their chemistry was, was terrific. Um, the, uh, I, I, I laughed several times. So, so I, I definitely enjoyed that. Um, the, uh, for whatever it's worth, the, uh, the ending was anticlimactic. Um, but when it was over, I liked it and I, and I, and I wasn't, I wasn't upset to see it in the top eight as far as nominations go. Um, but however much I enjoyed it, I'll probably not watch it again. What are your Fair thoughts? Fair enough. Well, you know how we've both talked about, we're not really big fans of what we call historical period pieces. Yeah. I am that way to an extent. This is the big exception for me. This movie is tailor-made to suit so many <laughs> of the things I like. I love pretty dresses. I love I love royalty. I, I love the, the dynamic of being at court. And, and if you give me some kinky power games, I am all in. <laughs> and this movie did not disappoint. I... And I'm a big Yorgos Lanthimos fan. I very much enjoyed The Lobster, and I liked Killing a a Sacred Deer. And this is him going a little more mainstream, which is funny to the average Joe to hear because this movie is probably considered the most artsy-fartsy of all the movies on the list. Um, But I just, I was was hooked the entire time. I I just love when, when you think you have someone figured out and then they throw you for a curve. And I like that you see these different layers to these women as they go about in getting what they want. Uh, I, I loved the gender dynamic that, um, that these women are really running the show, even though on the, the face of everything is that the men are. And just the way the men their their poofy wigs and their knickers and all that. I just I thought that was so cool and I just love that you know the only times men really factor into what's going on are to be used as chess pieces by Rachel Weisz by Emma Stone not that I think that's what life is but just that it's the opposite of what you're used to seeing in a period piece and none of these women even um the queen who has a lot of maladies and needs a lot of help none of them are helpless in any way which I think is fascinating. And I just, I was hooked on this story the entire time. 
Um, I don't think it's as good as Black Klansman or another movie that we'll mention, but it, it was probably my second favorite just because I just found it so inventive. And it wasn't just a dry royal drama. Like and there was modern dancing and there were fisheye lenses and it just, it was it, so uniquely its own thing and such a blast to watch and fully deserving of a nomination. Yeah, you know, it's funny. So uh, I, I would echo everything you said. Like, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. And in fact, uh, you know, you articulated much better than I was able to uh, a lot of the things that I appreciated about the movie. One of the things that I kept thinking throughout the movie was it, it this may or may not be intentional on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the part of the filmmaker, but the, uh, the portrayal of, of the queen felt so much to me like a metaphor for the presidency of Donald Trump. Huh. And, I, and, and, and I was thinking, I don't know if this is intentional, but I see so much of, you know, this person who uh, is kind of bumbling, but has tremendous power, can make decisions that affect a lot of people, but mm-hmm. isn't fully informed on those decisions and generally relies on smarter people around them. But sometimes despite the smarter people around them, want to wield their power because they have it. And and again, whether or not it was intentional, that's like, that's pretty much Donald Trump's presidency to a T. Um, and so I also thought it's a, it's a fascinating companion piece with, with Vice, because that was, that was pretty much the same with, with George W. Bush, that a few years into that presidency, it wasn't obvious in the beginning, but a few years in, if you were paying attention, it became very clear that vice that that Dick, Dick Cheney was our president, and George Bush was, you know, just, the mouthpiece. Yeah, and so so it's a, so it's a fascinating companion piece where I see a lot of similarities between Vice and and the favorite, and also between the favorite and uh, and the current administration of uh, of of of, 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 of these United States. That's very interesting. And I see what you're saying about um, the similarities between Queen Anne and the favorite and Donald Trump. I do have to disagree with your theory, though, because I think that um, that Queen Anne, even though she she does outlandish, immature and sometimes cruel things like Donald Trump, I think her heart really is full of love. And what she wants more than anything is to be loved and, and, and to be happy. And I don't think she is mad with power like Donald Trump is, or at least how he comes across in the media. And I think that when she does wield her power, I think it's because she's she feels uh, imprisoned by her physical condition. And when the people around her, particularly those who she loves, are not showing her the affection and she can't respond based on her physical state, she she lashes out and she just happens to have that power. So I do think there are some differences there. That's totally fair. And I'm glad you said that because uh, I agree with that 100% that when she does wield power, uh, it every time, at least insofar as uh, when she's making decisions that affect the, the people that she oversees, it does come from a place of tremendous empathy and from wanting people to be happy and from not wanting people to suffer if she can help it. So, so yeah, totally agree with that. Um, so, so the connections I saw were a lot more towards, you know, uh, you know, like, like there was, there was like, you know, scenes of, there's a scene where like she's in bed 
and there was like a, the, the the men in the powdered powdered wigs and Rachel Weisz are around her, and then they've got a map and they're they're talking about these very complicated things, and it's just you know, it, she's not she doesn't come across as a dumb woman, but these are things that she's that are just kind of not in her sphere, which is why you know the the Rachel Weisz character handles so many very important decisions. Um, so, and and you know what. Uh, so she's probably close more it's probably closer to uh uh George Bush and Vice where <laughs> where George Bush I can say I've never met him but I can say <laughs> I, I I can say my 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 perception of George Bush is however much I didn't enjoy his his time in office I feel confident saying he always thought he was doing the right thing and he always thought he was doing right by the people he represented even if I wasn't happy during his presidency. I can reflect on it uh, and say, you know what? Even if he did a bunch of things I didn't like, the thing that I can't doubt is he at least thought he was doing the right thing. And so I think a lot of that is true with the with the with Queen Queen Anne. Is that the right name? And I, yes, and I, I think with both Queen Anne and George W. Bush, there's this kind of like resting forlorn look on their face, where you just kind of <laughs> want to give them a cookie and tell them everything's gonna be okay. Um, and uh, I will say, even if, um, whether or not there's any, uh, there was any desire on the part of Yorgos Lanthimos and the people behind the favorite to compare anything to the Trump presidency, I'm happy that if that's what they were doing, which again, you think maybe they were, I don't think so necessarily, whether or not they were, I'm happy that if they were, it was done in a subtle way because the one criticism I had about Black Klansmen is I felt they were trying to shoehorn like the, this is like David Duke is Donald Trump kind of thing when he actually said, make America great again and all that. Cause we get that the thesis of the film of Black Klansmen is that it, this was in the seventies and things are just as bad right now. Um, I think that the film was strong enough, Black Klansmen I'm talking about, that they didn't need that shoehorning. So I'm happy that there wasn't in The Favorite. Yeah, no, 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 I'm with you on that. And again, I would lean towards the fact that they that uh, that they weren't trying to make that connection. But I think because I sort of I uh, uh, outside of my love of movies and the Academy Awards, um, I sort of I for 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 better or worse, I I kind of live day to day. I'm sort of immersed in a in in, in a political news. Uh, 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 I avoid it like the plague. Yeah, and I, I, so does Chanel. So, so like occasionally, like I'll fill her in on stuff that I, that I think is like worth knowing. So, so I think because I'm like just immersed in it, you know, it's it's that thing of it's basically like like a Rorschach test where my mind drawing connections that, you know, <laughs> that that are just that are just that you know unique to me. Uh, <clears throat> so with that in mind, we have one movie left. And uh, I mentioned earlier, there's one movie I haven't seen yet. Ironically, it's the movie that's been most accessible to me for the last several months. <laughs> uh, and I just haven't seen it. And it's and it's Roma. So part of the reason I haven't seen Roma yet was uh, it's been on Netflix for a few months now. And I don't rush to watch a lot of Netflix original movies. Netflix original TV shows I'm very open to. I can't explain the bias, and it's not even. And, I, and I've watched Netflix originals and I've enjoyed them, and I feel very confident that I'll enjoy Roma. But you know, it was on Netflix. I think it's also one of the things with Netflix is 
in my mind, it's like, all right, this is not going away. I've got time. So then when it was getting a lot of uh, award season buzz, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm really not going to watch this because I would love to watch this as part of the showcase. I was very excited to see this as part of the showcase. So then when it got nominated, I was like, awesome. So now I feel like I beat the system and I get to watch Roma in the theater with the Best Picture Showcase only to find out a couple hours after the nominations, uh, AMC was very quick to put out a press release. In fact, so quick that I'm sure they wrote it like a week before. But they were like, by the way, our Best Picture Showcase is going to involve seven of the eight nominated films. Roma's not part of it. Fuck Netflix, because they didn't didn't play this in our theaters, so it's not going to be part of our showcase. So, so my, my plan kind of got fucked, but then here's what I did, Liz. Yesterday, yes. uh, there was three movies in our day. Normally there'd be four. So I, so Schnell and I thought, well, why don't we do this? We'll just make Roma part of our, part of day one of our showcase. We'll watch the three movies. Normally during the showcase is three movies, a dinner break, then you watch the fourth movie. We'll come home, we'll do dinner, then we'll put on Roma. And that was the plan. But by the time I finished, so because I, so I was making dinner and then we thought, well, we can't watch it while we eat dinner because there's going to be subtitles. We need to give it our, <laughs> our full attention. So by the time I finished making dinner and we ate, finished eating dinner, it wasn't so late that we couldn't start a movie. But we both worried that ah, maybe it's too late to start a movie. So haven't seen Roma yet. We'll probably watch it uh, maybe Monday. Um, but anyway, that said... Um, I basically outsmarted myself and I just haven't seen, I haven't seen Roma yet. <laughs> well, so I have several things to say uh, before I even talk about Roma, because I have seen it, um, about this whole uh, Best Picture Showcase thing, because that is a, a big part of you and your life and Chanel and, and your parents too. I've never been to one. There's no AMC theaters, I don't know, in Ontario or in Canada. So no, no place is doing this. I have no opportunity to do this without leaving the country. Um, All the more reason to come back to Vegas, by the way, but go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> come for our best picture showcase. <laughs> oh, really quick, too. Uh, and again, I, I want to hear everything you have to say. Um, the uh, Regal Theaters, which is, uh, I think, is like the second biggest, uh, as far as I could tell, the second biggest theater chain behind AMC. Um, they've, they've, I think they've seen the success of the Best Picture Showcase, so they're, well, they're, so they're doing their version of it. I don't remember them doing this before. So what they're doing, which actually I like a lot, is basically you're 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 buying, uh, say, a showcase ticket, but you can watch the nominated movies on your own time. So it's like you buy wow. like one pass, and I'm gonna watch Clansman today because I have time. I'm gonna watch uh, The Favorite tomorrow. Next weekend I'll watch A Star Is Born because I have time to watch it. Or the AMC, it's a regimented, you know, scheduled event. I like the event. regimented. I think it makes it more of an event. Oh, I do too. I absolutely do too. Um, uh, I, I appreciate that uh, that uh, that the Regal is sort of finding their version of it. But I love going to the theater and spending. In fact, honestly, three movies yesterday, I felt like I was just getting started. I was like, I was I was not disappointed because I knew it was only three. But for me, it felt like I only watched one movie. But even though I watched. Uh, three movies back to back. Yeah, well, uh, so is it Regal? Does it have Roma as part of it? Uh, no, in fact, they were they were in the 
they didn't put out a joint statement, but the article that I first read, it was like both Regal and AMC were both very upfront that they weren't including Roma in their best picture um, showcases. Okay, I want to respond to that because I, I started off saying like I have no attachment, personal attachment to the best picture showcase, but I think that's fucking bullshit. I really do. I don't see how you can call it a best picture showcase if you don't have all the best picture nominees there. That's kind of like when Fox aired Rent Live and they had to play in uh, a pre-recorded rehearsal because a cast member broke his leg and everyone went to Twitter and re- called it Rent Kinda Live. This is best picture kinda showcase. Because totally. because it's it, there's they don't have all the movies and it's just like and it's just this case of I'm just gonna take my ball and go home. Well, you're screwing over all these movie lovers who are not downloading movies but paying to come to your theater to be part of a theatrical experience that you're saying is necessary and that Netflix is taking away from, and then you don't show a best picture nominee as part of the best picture showcase. That is so immature, and it is a big middle finger to cinema itself. So shame on you, AMC. That's what I have to say about that. That really riles me up. Um, And I think that everyone who's participating in this Best Picture Showcase, you and Chanel and Mama Lestraps and everyone else, (laughs) are missing out because Roma is an exquisite movie. Everything you have heard about it, it completely lives up to the hype. It is gorgeous not just in terms of aesthetic but in its subject in its capturing of day-to-day life and look it is you hear Roma it's a foreign language film it is black and white and it is slow paced as molasses and I was glued to it and it that is not the type of movie that I am normally glued to give me a black clansman (laughs) outrageous zany film that is normally a Liz Hershey kind of movie Roma is not I what I was I I felt like I was there, and just watching this movie, you you're just watching it and you're engaging with the story, but you think this is just art, this is just art, with how it is shot, with the way the story unfolds, um, and it takes place in uh, Mexico City in the '70s where there's all this political unrest, and at the time, and that is the backdrop. As there's this family, the protagonist is the the nanny and the domestic worker of this uh, upper middle class family. And as this political unrest is going on, the family unit is falling apart. And so some of these shots, you're showing the family fall apart in a way that seems like people's worlds as they know it are ending. And then just down the street, there's this protest. So it seems like nothing is happening with someone getting in a car compared to like a political rally, but in terms of emotional weight, it is just as high. And um, there's one scene, this isn't really spoiling it, but there's a scene that takes place um, in, in a store, like a boutique store. And you, you start to hear this noise picking up. It's noise from outside. It's kind of shouting and stuff. And people are just shopping and, and it's, it's very still very civilized in there. And as you're shopping, the camera just kind of pans to the side and you just see this police riot in the streets. And then you pan back and they're watching and they're all, everyone's stopped. But they're still very much in this domestic world of, of, of shopping in this boutique. And then without saying what happens next, the cast from the street kind of comes into the store. And it is, Matt Martin, it is, it is exquisite filmmaking. It is, it is a must watch for anybody. And while I like Black Klansman more, and I think Black Klansman 
it, I, I would say Black Klansman does deserve um, the best picture win more. And on a personal level, I like the favorite more. I think Roma is a better movie than the favorite. So I, I would say it completely deserves best picture. And I'm, I'm going to say it here and now, Martin, it is my prediction to win best picture. I, uh, I'm excited to watch it. Uh, I, cause I, uh, I really know very little about it. I enjoyed, uh, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the synopsis you shared that was actually very helpful. Um, I'm excited to watch it. I'm sad. I didn't, I didn't get to watch it as part of the showcase in large part because it, it, you know, I, I think the reason it wasn't part of the showcase was just, a, 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 a it was less to do with, you know, the movies and just more to do with, uh, behind the scenes battles of um, Hollywood and theaters sure. and streaming and and you know uh, uh, not not giving up uh, the old ways and you know how dare you try to uh, come on our turf with your with your streaming network and make you know movies that are going to be regarded and whatever so I think there's more to do with that and less to do with their explanation of you know uh, movies are usually in, in theaters for 90 days and so they didn't do that so we just can't in good conscience you know make it part of the showcase. So, so, but anyway, that's it. I look forward to watching it. Um, uh, and I, I, again, just purely based on watching award season and kind of reading the tea leaves. Um, I also think Roma is going to win. I do think it's going to come down to Roma and, and green book. That's what I think too. And that's less about my preference. Although, um, green book, I fucking adore green book. So it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. If it won, um, uh, I, I, I do think it's going to be, Roma, though, and again, I haven't seen it, but just just reading the tea leaves, seeing what's going on. Can so, I just um, make an interesting observation here about because I, I just made my I made my prediction to the listener. It's on the record now. I, I predict Roma to win Best Picture. Um, two things about this. One, I don't know if you got it. I might have linked you to it. I might have not. But before TIFF, like early, right before Fall Film Festival, I've been doing so much reading about the movies that were coming and with Oscar prospects. I did a list of Oscar uh, predictions pre-anything before any of this happened. And so I, I did the major nominees. And for Best Picture, I did predict Roma before TIFF even happened. So if Roma wins, I think that's awesome. It's awesome and and very impressive. You, you get credit on the record for telling us a thing that you did that we can't <laughs> validate, but we believe you. Well, I mean, it's there's a timestamp on it, so... Um, but, and also we're going to go through some of these other categories and some of them I'm, uh, I'm also, I think I'm going to be right in others. I'm so far off the market. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, but I will say that, um, I back 10 years ago or so I was on a best picture prediction hot streak that went down in flames because for the past three years, I've gotten the best picture nominees wrong. And those directly coincide with the three times I podcasted with you. <laughs> and so when I make a best picture prediction, it's less of making a prediction and more of choosing a hill to die on. <laughs> um, so today's is Roma. Um, and so it, I, I find I do find it funny that as soon as I started podcasting about it, I was getting all the best picture nominees wrong. And I think we know who we can blame for this, Martin. I think so, too. But go ahead. Who is it? Greg Lestrade. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yes. I blame him for Absolutely. So, so there you go. There's a bit of a behind the scenes trivia for you. And, um, but I, I feel good. It, I feel good about my pick every year <laughs> only to be shot on. But, um, 
but I, I feel very, very confident about Roma. So yeah. we shall see. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm excited to get back on top. <laughs> so, okay. So here's what I would like to do because we're, are, we're, we're quickly approaching uh, four hours. <laughs> uh, what I would like uh, for, for the benefit of the, uh, of, of the listening audience and, uh, and, uh, and my growling belly, what I'd like to do is not shortchange anybody, but do a little bit of a of, of a lightning round because I, because um, I think in the course of talking about the movie, I think people will be able to to glean a lot about of, of how we feel about some of these other nominations. Um, but we'll see if we can't do a, a nice lightning round to try to wrap this up in a tidy four hours or so. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, a lot of the movies that we'll mention in these other categories we've already talked about, so we don't need to go into too much detail. All right. So lightning round number one, best actor. The uh, the nominees are Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, William Defoe for At Eternity's Gates, which I have not seen, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. Uh, as far as lightning round goes, I'll say that uh, Bradley Cooper was my favorite performance of the five, uh, but uh, my prediction is Rami Malek. Okay, and I will say that I sincerely hope that the clip that they show for Bradley Cooper's performance in A Star is Born is the scene at the Grammys because that was glorious. <laughs> and I want I want to watch that every Christmas. Um, I did see At Eternity's Gate and um, it the title of the film is almost a perfect representation of the viewing experience, <laughs> except you're not at the gate, you are there. It feels like eternity and it, it is ju just boring and pretentious. He's fine, but whatever. Um, Viggo Mortensen, I actually think he doesn't deserve this nomination and I would have rather seen John David Washington and Black Klansman get in there. Um, and uh, Christian Bale and Vice, body was fantastic but also i think that he is, is the uh has the biggest chance of an upset but i agree with you my prediction is rami malik in a well-deserved win for bohemian rhapsody and may i just say super quick because i went and saw first man thinking it was going to get all these nominations <laughs> and it didn't get anything major and i suffered through that movie and it made me question life itself martin and did you see it i did not see it Okay, well... I thought it was going to be the showcase, so I outsmarted yeah. myself with that one, too. Oh, my God. Well, you, you dodged a bullet because it, it's like... It's Neil Armstrong and, and Ryan Gosling playing him, and it takes place in the 60s, and so all the men are very stoic and all this shit. And honestly, like, I get that... I get that, you know, you don't show emotion and all that, but there was there was one scene in, in the first sort of mission, not the big moon mission, but Neil Armstrong's in space and he makes a safe landing and every man in the control room just goes nuts. And I'm like, oh my God, you people can emote. And I just <laughs> wanted them to, for some reason, I just wanted them all to start making out. Um, and But I was really questioning, I'm like, I was just watching Ryan Gosling thinking, is he I, I thought he was a good actor I'm like I've seen him in all these all these movies that I've liked and I'm like oh my goodness did I just like the movies and Ryan Gosling happened to be in them and I was like holy shit because he has some trauma from his past and so he's trying to play it stoic but he has he has grief that he's going through and it comes across as really brooding and he it, like so he's brooding so hard that I questioned whether he was involved with a love try in a love triangle with Kristen Stewart and a werewolf. 
And that's that was spoiler. <laughs> and and I'm like, okay, look, 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 Liz, you're not an actor. You don't know how to show stoic man without being wooden. And apparently neither does Ryan Gosling. And <laughs> I, I, I had to get that in there because I was thinking of these jokes the entire time I was watching the movie. Don't go see First Man. Let's move on. I, I feel good about not, <laughs> not watching it. So lightning, <laughs> lightning round number two, Best Actress. Nominees are Yelitsa Aprecio for Roma. So we've established I haven't seen it. Glenn Close for The Wife. I have not seen that. Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. Lady Gaga for A Star is Born. And Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? I've seen, I, I have not seen that one yet. I'm waiting for it to be available for On Demand. That should happen hopefully this week. So I've actually only seen two of these performances. Uh, and of the two, uh, Lady Gaga easily gets my vote. Uh, okay. Um, I've, I've seen all of them. And um, and so real quick, uh, Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me was fantastic. I, I think that it was no surprise that she would be good in a dramatic role. And she was. I, I loved the performances in Can You Ever Forgive Me a lot more than the film itself. I found the story very predictable. But she was great. Um, and I, I thought she would be more of a, a major player in this than she was. Yelitsa Aparicio, I didn't. I was surprised that she got nominated, but pleasantly. I thought she did a great job and would deserve the win if it came her way, which I don't think it will. Olivia Coleman was just fantastic. I would love to see her. Like If she won, I'd be very happy. And Lady Gaga, same thing, especially her at the beginning of the movie. She's just electric. Uh, I thought in my um, sort of time capsule predictions, I thought that she was going to win. It was going to be her year. It was going to be this breakout success that mirrored the story. Um, and that all went tits up at the Golden Globes when Glenn Close won for The Wife and yeah. has picked up steam ever since. I saw The Wife. It is so good. Um, and just it is a very quiet movie that speaks volumes. It's it there. No one is in, ever in any uh, physical danger, but Matt and I were, our hands were wrapped around each other, glued to the edges of our seat. It is so good, especially because of her. And so I be, and she's never won. And so I, I think she's going to win and I think she wholeheartedly deserves it. So Glenn Close is my personal pick to win. And she's my prediction as well. Yeah. I, I think she's also going to win as well. But again, that's kind of reading the, the, the tea leaves and seeing where things are going. I'm hoping to also watch the wife before the awards. Uh, several of these movies, I'm waiting for them to be available on uh, on demand so I can I can rent them. But uh, I, I I would like to watch it. Um, I didn't realize that I'd only seen two of these uh, performances though until just this very moment. Uh, lightning round uh, number three, best supporting actor, uh, Mahershala Ali for Green Book, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? I haven't seen that one yet. And Sam, uh, Sam Rockwell for, for Vice. Uh, Sam Rockwell is always my jam. Loved him in Vice. Um, he's, he's certainly not going to win, and I'm okay with that, but I always love him. Uh, uh, Mahershala Ali was wonderful in Green Book. Uh, I think he will win, and then uh, of these performances, I uh, was uh, pro- definitely, I would say, my favorite performance of these five nominees. Well, in fairness, four, because I haven't seen Richard E. Grant's performance. Okay, so um, overall, the one uh, I was very shocked to see Timothy Chalamet not here for Beautiful Boy because he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and all these other uh, awards. Um, that being said, listeners know from um, last podcast that we did on the Oscars that I adore Timothy Chalamet. Very happy not to see him here, not because I didn't think 
he did a good job in Beautiful Boy, but Beautiful Boy is a complete by the numbers addict story. I was bored out of my skull and he deserves better material. Um, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be Timothy Chalamet here. And I thought for the fifth spot, it would be a battle of the Sams. I didn't think both Sam Rockwell and Sam Elliott would get in. And truth be told, I like Sam Elliott a lot. Do not think he deserves a nomination. I don't see why everyone is freaking out about his performance. Everyone was talking about some scene in a car. And I'm watching this movie, and, and he's in a car with Bradley Cooper, and he gets out, and I'm like, when are, when are they going to have time for another car scene? And I said, <laughs> oh, shit, that was it. That was it, really? I didn't think... I, I, I just didn't think there was anything special about that character or that performance, no offense. So I, I would rather... Have not seen him here. You know who I would have rather seen here is Michael B. Jordan for Black Panther, honestly. Yeah, because I, I thought his fair. character was so amazing. Um, so that's my thought on Sam Elliott. Sam Rockwell, um, he, he did a, he was very convincing as George W. Bush. And the thing is, what kind of disturbed me is I love a man with salt and pepper hair. And I think Sam Rockwell is very attractive. So I'm watching Vice and it's like George W. Bush. I'm like, oh, he is gorgeous. And I'm like, Ugh! oh my God, <laughs> my teenage self was like, what are you doing? So, I mean, I, that was my personal experience with the movie, but I, I do feel like um, Sam Rockwell's portrayal, while very good, does veer into impression territory a little bit because you don't see him for very long, so you just can't tell. Um, Adam Driver as Black Klansman, he did a fantastic job, but I ultimately think that it's really between Mahershala Ali uh, for Green Book and Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me. Richard E. Grant was the heart and soul of can you ever forgive me as this myth misanthropic nomad and he and um he kind of hooks up as a friend uh with lee israel and they both just hate people and they both say terrible things to each other and there's one scene where one of them says fuck you to the other one and that's like their way of saying i love you and it's so beautiful and if anyone gets a chance watch richard e grant's video uh that he recorded of himself reacting to his nomination it's really sweet he's a 60 something year old man in britain who's never got this kind of attention or success um and i do love it when a first time winner gets an oscar but i do think you just can't beat mahershala ali he is so strong in this role i've never seen anything like it so for all these haters on green book how can you say that don shirley is just like the magical black guy character and then turn around and say he deserves the win because he was so amazing he he made the role amazing but it was a deep character to begin with and that all adds up to me predicting Mahershala Ali as the winner for best supporting actor. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, and so, so I think, I think he will win, uh, especially cause he's won every single other award, but you know, uh, supporting actor and actress, it's always that one wild card that if there's going to be some unexpected win, it's one it's one of these categories. I think he will win, but you know, if, if somebody else wins in this category, there is, historical precedent that it's sort of happened before that said I, I feel he's as much as a lock as anybody else uh, yeah so best supporting actress uh, Amy Adams for Vice Marina de Tavira for Roma Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk Emma Stone for The Favorite and Rachel Vice for The Favorite so uh, of these performances I've seen three of them Amy Adams Emma Stone Rachel Vice um, of those three um, my, of my, of those three, my, my pick would be between Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, uh, probably Emma Stone in large part because I've been crushing on her since Superbad, but also she was wonderful and in, in the favorite, um, 
That said, from what I could tell, Regina King seems to have the most momentum going into it. So uh, I would lean toward Regina King uh, winning this award. Okay. Um, so just going off this, real quick, poor Amy Adams. She and Michelle Williams suffer from Always a Bridesmaid, Never a Bride. Um, it seemed like always get to get nominated and be sort of the front runner, only to be overtaken by someone else. And I think that's the case here. I think Amy Adams was the front runner at the beginning of award season. I think she has no shot now whatsoever. Um, and but I think I think she's done better work. Everyone's talking about how great she was. I think this was Christian Bale's movie that yeah. it just it just was. Um, I like to see someone like Amy Adams win her first Oscar for Best Actress and Supporting. So I I mean it's coming at some point, but it's just it's frust- probably frustrating that she keeps losing and she lost everything for Shark Objects at the awards as well. Um, Marina Di Tavera, that was a shock. That was the biggest shock for me was that she got nominated because she was not in the conversation at all. She plays the mother of the household in Roma and she does a fantastic job. So I'd, I'd love to see a win, but she ha- probably has the least chance out of anyone. Regina King and If Beale Street Could Talk, I just saw that movie a couple days ago and it is it is very, very good. The score is beautiful and will probably win. And I feel like she is really sort of the, the anchor to this movie and she her acting I think is the most natural and grounded and she, like you she is my prediction to win especially because Emily Blunt won um, the SAG for best supporting actress for um, A Quiet Place mm-hmm. and I think that in large part had to do with the fact that mo- people would have wanted to vote for Regina King but she wasn't an option and she did win the Golden Globe so I, I think it is going to be Regina King Emma Stone in the favorite. I don't think she has any chance whatsoever, but I really, really enjoyed her performance. And my personal favorite and the pick for my time capsule was Rachel Weisz for the favorite. I just thought she was, I, I you couldn't take your eyes off her the whole time. She was uh, probably my favorite of the three of these uh, ladies in the movie. And she's just so super talented. And she did win the BAFTA. So I think she is uh, a second place uh contestant for this award but i think the gap between her and regina king is pretty big so i do think it will be regina king come oscar sunday yeah and and it was interesting because you know uh, rachel weiss won the bafta uh regina king was nominated there um regina king was not nominated for the sag awards as you mentioned uh emily blunt uh, uh, won that one for for quiet place uh regina king won uh uh for 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 the golden globe was she uh, who won the supporting actress at the Globes for? I feel was she it, won. King. You, uh, do, do they not do? Do they not split it up for uh, musical comedy drama? For not this? for not for supporting. Oh, okay. So 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 there you have it. So yeah. So she's. Yeah. So it's been it's been an interesting for supporting actress. If there's been just a, a a slight bit of inconsistency, but overall, it seems like the table has been set for for Regina King to, to win this one. Um, I haven't. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, if Bill Street could talk, that was another one where I outsmarted myself because I just assumed it would be in the showcase, so I, so I didn't I thought, watch it. I thought it would get nominated for um, for Best Picture as well. I was surprised that it didn't. I knew it wouldn't win. It would kind of be at the bottom tier, but I thought it would. Um, and in my time capsule predictions, I said that I thought that if Bill Street could talk would get some Academy love, but it wouldn't be nearly as big a deal as Moonlight, and that proved to be true. Um, and for because I, I skipped over my uh, time capsule predictions for a couple of these categories, the biggest one by far I got wrong was Best Actor because I thought it would be Robert Redford for The Old Man and the Gun. <laughs> and he got nominated for the Golden Globe, but that movie, it just came out way, way too early. And it, it, people liked it, but it wasn't big enough. So his uh, Academy buzz dried up. And um, I think it was my love of Timothy Chalamet 
that made me predict him for Best Supporting Actor for Beautiful Boy. And again, he didn't even get the nomination. And I think that, I don't know if other people agree, but I don't think Gary Oldman really deserved to win his Oscar for Best Actor last year that Timothy Chalamet should have won in Call Me By Your Name. And so I thought that the Beautiful Boy win would be the Academy Apology type deal. But um, but that didn't prove to to be strong. So the, now everyone's caught up on my time capsule <laughs> prediction. All right. So so we're getting down to it. Best director, uh, Alfonso Cuarón for Roma, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Adam McKay for Vice, Powell Pawlikowski for Cold War. I have no idea if I said that correctly, but I hope I did. Uh, of, uh, of these five, I've seen. Uh, uh, I haven't seen Roma. I haven't seen Cold War. So I've only seen Vice, Black Klansman, and The Favorite. Of the three that I've seen, um, I would very easily give it to Spike Lee and Black Klansman. Um, but that said, uh, Alfonso Cuaron has been winning everything overwhelmingly. So I really have little doubt that he will not. I, I think he will win the, the Academy Award for Best Director. Okay. Well, uh, starting with uh, Paul uh, Kowski for Cold War, that's one of the only major nominated films I haven't seen. And I, if you are someone who's going to an Oscars party, I highly recommend seeing it because most people probably won't have seen it. And so when everyone's like, what the hell is Cold War? You'll be able to talk about it and sound intelligent. That being said, yay for you, not yay for him because he won't win. Adam <laughs> McKay, uh, happy to see him here. I think he's very talented. He's not going to win either. Yorgos Lanthimos, I'm a huge fan of. Um, as I said before, and for the fa- so I was happy to see him nominated for the favorite. He won't win. Alfonso uh, Cuaron for Roma. I think it's his award to win. I think that um, he completely deserves it. So he's my prediction for it to win. So I'd be happy to see him win. But the biggest upset could come from Spike Lee because he hasn't won before. Yeah. I personally want Spike Lee to win because Alfonso Cuaron has won in the past. And um, and the thing about Spike Lee is he does have a reputation in Hollywood for being this outspoken guy. Uh, and during this award season campaign from what I've heard from podcasts is that he's been playing, he's been behaving himself very well. He's been very, because apparently he can be very, very charming and, and yeah, convivial sure. when he wants to be. And and that's been the side of Spike Lee. So when people are, you know, trying to push his buttons about hey, green books, Drew and really well and all that stuff, he's just not rising to any of it. So I would love nothing more than for him to win so he can get up on stage and just unleash all the opinions he's been holding <laughs> back for months, in addition to the fact that he deserves it. But as a fellow person who likes to speak their mind, there's nothing better than biting your tongue for so long just to get to open your mouth. So I, for that reason, I hope he wins. And I think, I think he does have a shot, but I do predict Alfonso Cuaron in Roma, as I did in my time capsule. Yeah, it would be very, very cool if Spike Lee won, especially for, uh, for, for, for like I said, I, I've, I've been a fan of his for a very long time. I've seen, he's made so many movies. I don't even think I can say I've seen most of his movies, uh, but I've seen a lot of his movies, and so um, it would be really cool to see him get uh, recognized in, in large part because I mean, he, he's had a career in Hollywood for thirty some odd years. It's not crazy to say that maybe he won't get another nomination. I, I I wouldn't want that to be true, but you know, it took him this long to get nominated at all. I don't, I don't, I, I believe this is his first nomination. Um, but that said, I, you know, again, yeah, Alfonso for, director, I think. for, yeah, he's probably been directed for screenplay if I had to guess. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Alfonso Cunan, I think he, I think he's going to win. I haven't seen it yet, but again, very often there's certain movies where, 
even before I see them, I, I really ha- I, I go into it anticipating all like and I think Roma is one of those movies. Uh, so now we get to the uh, awards that aren't necessarily, you know, regarded as uh, prestige awards, but don't tell that to Liz and I. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so they are for uh, Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay. So Best Original Screenplay, the movies are The Favorite, First Reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Uh, of these movies, I have seen, well, I've seen, I, I have not seen First Reformed. That's written by Paul Schrader. I have not seen Roma, which was also, it was written by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, but so between Vice, Green Book, and the and, and the favorite, um, I don't know, screenplay-wise, poof. Um, gosh. Green Book, I'd say, and that's I'm basing that just based on my overall enjoyment of the movie. Okay. Um, I haven't, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I realize as I said that this is one where I'm, I'm really not certain where the wind is okay. blowing. And if I had to guess, I'd say the favorite though is probably going to be, it's probably win. You think the favorite? Okay. Yeah. Um, for me, I haven't seen first reformed either. And it was a movie that came out in, I think April, I want to say in the springtime. So again, I just wrote it off as it's not going to get nominated for anything. So I'll try to see it, but, um, but I, I don't think it has any shot here whatsoever. Roma for all it's love. I think, it can't win everything. So I don't, I don't think it's going to win here. Um, Vice for Adam McKay. I'm, and I'm happy to see Roma here. I'm happy to see Vice here. Uh, Vice's chances are, are just nothing at this point. Um, so I think it really is between Green Book and The Favorite. And I think um, Green Book has been getting Nick Vallelonga, who is the uh, main figurehead of the writers because he's Tony Lip's son. Um, he, he is, uh, he's basically apparently disappeared off the campaign scene completely after those, um, uh, pro, uh, pro Trump anti-Muslim tweets that yeah. people unearthed. Um, so that might have something to do with it, but I, I think, I think the favorite deserves it far and above green book anyway, like controversy or not. And it was actually my time capsule pick for, um, best, uh, original screenplay and the screenplays, unfortunately, they are seen as kind of a dumping ground for beloved movies where people go, okay, they're not going to win anything else. They're not going to win any of the acting awards or director or best picture. So we'll give them the screenplay. Uh-huh. And I don't, I don't see the favorite coming close to winning, winning anything else. I think Rachel Weiss is the best shot and it's murky at best for her. So I think, you know, deserving or not, the dumping ground for the favorite is going to be best original screenplay. So it was my ten, my time capsule pick, and it is my official prediction to win best original screenplay. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's sort of because because Green Book is going to be in the running for best best picture. It'll definitely win best supporting actor. But the favorite, for as much as it's been celebrated, it's not going to win anything else. So the Academy, as we've seen, you know, when a movie celebrated, when they can, if they can find a consolation prize, which is usually a screenplay award. They'll give them that. So the favorite is very much tailor-made for that. So, so yeah, I think we're both on the same page for that. Uh, best Adapted Screenplay, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, which I just watched uh, on Friday, I believe. Uh, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born. So uh, uh, similar to the conversation we just had, uh, Black Klansman... Um, of these movies, I would say, well, I haven't seen Can You Ever Forgive Me, but I would say of these movies, Black Klansmen, um, I enjoyed 
the most. I would, uh, and so by extension, it's it's not unfair to say would be my favorite screenplay. But then beyond that, Spike Lee is nominated for uh, co-writing the screenplay. So if you won't win for best director, which you probably won't, uh, not unlike uh, Jordan Peele for Get Out, um, this will be an opportunity to uh, honor Spike Lee and his filmmaking in the form of best adapted screenplay for Black Klansman. Okay, um, just going down the list, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I also saw, and uh, almost kicking and screaming, even though I watched it by myself, because I hate Westerns, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch 10 minutes of this movie, and when it's inevitably awful, I'm turning it off, and I was glued to it the entire time. I Actually, I think that it's a series of vignettes in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I thought by far was the weakest one, and that Cowboy Trades and Spurs for a Wing song is truly awful, but <laughs> other than that, um, the rest of the stories were so good and it was and that's why i love the academy awards and trying to see all these movies because i never in a million years would have watched ballad of buster scruggs had it not been nominated and i'm so happy i did because i got so much out of it that being said i don't think it's going to win can you ever forgive me i enjoyed the movie but i thought that the storytelling was the weakest part of it still i i do like nicole holoff center and i am happy to actually see a female screenwriter in the mix here i think well there's a deborah what's her name uh Deborah Davis uh, for the favorite, um, but I I would like to get nominated for an Oscar someday, so it's nice to see myself being represented. But can you ever forgive me? He's not going to win. If Beale Street Could Talk by Barry Jenkins, um, that was my time capsule pick to win because I thought that was going to be the dumping ground for Beale Street, but it's gotten even less buzz than I originally thought, so I don't think it, it will win. And uh, A Star is Born, just just the... Um, the uh, the buzz for a star is born his his just you know died faster than like a dying star pretty much um it's it has no chance at all and uh we should i wanted to note in director that bradley cooper got snubbed hardcore for best director i think people were really surprised not to see him there and in my time capsule i did predict that he would get what i called afflect out of the director nominees <laughs> I thought, you know, he's pretty and, and they, they he's going to be respected, but he's going to get the acting nomination and it's going to get nominated for Best Picture and they're just not going to nominate for, for Best Director. And that proved to be true. And that leaves Black Klansman. And like you said, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think it will be the dumping ground for Black Klansman when uh, Quaron wins director over Spike Lee. But I do legitimately think Black Klansman deserves this award. It deserves almost everything it can get. Um and I'm a writer, so if, if it get, I, I mean, I, I want him to get the director so bad. I would love for him to get the picture. I don't see those happening, but I do see him getting best adapted screenplay. Yeah, and uh, and, uh, and 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 what's nice too is that um, on the one hand, uh, you know, if if you love and watch the Oscars as, as, as closely as Liz and I do, you know, we can both recognize that. Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay for Spike Lee. On the one hand, it's a little bit of a consolation prize, but amongst these nominees, I think it genuinely is, uh, you know, the the best screenplay. So so even if it is a bit of a consolation, it's also, uh, you know, it, it'll also be a, a genuinely good win for, for Black Klansmen, especially since, you know, almost definitely won't win any of the other major awards. Uh, so Liz, we're about to wrap up. But uh, just b- briefly, very briefly, I, I, I want to just have a wild card category. 
which is <laughs> uh, best animated feature film because I don't watch animated features and just purely by happenstance, uh, I've seen several of these movies. So the nominated <laughs> <laughs> so the nominated movies are Incredible Two, Isle of Dogs, uh, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet uh, Two, I guess, or no, Ralph Breaks the Internet. It's a sequel, and Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Uh, of these three, I've seen Incredibles two. Incidentally, I'd never seen the first Incredibles, but uh, again, AMC does these fun fan events. So when Incredibles two came out, they did a a fan event double feature. So Chanel and I we'd never seen either, so we actually saw both of them in in, in one sitting, which was fun. Uh, Isle of Dogs, uh, we watched almost as soon as it came out because uh, it looked adorable, and Chanel loves anything to do with dogs and cartoons. If you did, you guys like it. Uh, I liked it a, a lot. I wanted to enjoy it more than I did, but I but I enjoyed it a lot. The parts of the movie that I loved, I really loved. Um, uh, but Wes Anderson, for me, he's kind of hit and miss, so it sort of was par, par for the course in terms of how I feel about Wes Anderson. That said, you know, you know I would watch it again. Yeah, I'm, I saw it with my sister, and uh, I I quite enjoyed Isle of Dogs. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I normally do not care for Wes Anderson. I don't like how stylized he is. It just doesn't click with me. Yeah. Um. But but this one this one really did. And I mean, like before you move on to the other ones, I I don't think Isle of Dogs has any shot at winning this award. Not at all. And I don't think any um animated films geared towards an older audience have ever had any shot of winning awards. And I think that something needs to be done about that. Cause this can't just be like a cater to the cutest kids movie award. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, Miri, I uh, never heard of it. So that's no, no offense uh, meant towards that. Just never knew this existed until it was nominated. Ralph breaks the internet. Um, uh, it didn't see it. I might, I might watch the first one so I can, uh, uh, appreciate the second one uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse shouldn't surprise Liz or any of the listeners that of course I've seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and so so here's the thing when I went into Spider-Man Into, into the Spider-Verse I saw it relatively soon after it came out and I went to go see it I don't enjoy feature length uh, animation when I was a kid I loved them I don't know when that changed but it definitely did I've seen some you know the, the movies that are generally highly lauded um i i'm i'm more time than not uh underwhelmed by them and that's not a, a diss to the cartoon i just take it more as like this just isn't my my niche anymore for for whatever reason so i watched uh, spider-man into the F- spider-verse more as a as a loyal comic book movie fan uh but but you know but but ultimately you know whatever um i walked out of that movie completely enamored and I said to Chanel, this is not only the best Spider-Man cartoon I've ever seen, this is the best Spider-Man movie, bar none, I've ever seen. Uh, and this is easily one of the best, if not the best, comic book movies of 2018. Um, uh, I would, for, for me, for my viewing pleasure, I would rank it above uh, Avengers Infinity War and Black Panther is the best comic book movie of the year and i don't know if this is a hot take but we'll say it is if this was a nomination number nine this would be my favorite movie of the year spider-man into the spider-verse that's high praise absolutely and and so i would and, and again i love comic book movies i do not like feature length uh animation 
and I can't wait to watch this one again. It's not in the showcase, but I'm going to take my parents to watch it ahead of the Oscars Aww, that's so, sweet. so they can root for it along with me uh, for this award, which um, which it's been exciting to see it winning because um, I feel it, it's very I feel like the wins are organic because I have to imagine people are watching it and walking away the same way I did, which was like not only did I did I like that more than I expected, that was kind of amazing. So if you haven't seen it, I would highly encourage you to watch it. I really think you'd enjoy it. Awesome. Well, I mean, maybe I will someday. <laughs> Someday's <laughs> fair. Maybe uh, if you visit Vegas or Snell and I visit uh, Canada, we'll use that as your excuse to to, to watch it. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. Hey, I, I liked Ballad about Buster Scruggs. So anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it too. I it was a. Uh, on the one hand, it was darker than I expected, but it's the Coen yeah, Brothers. Yeah, so I liked that. I shouldn't have been thrown off. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I have no regrets of, of having watched it. Uh, we might have to do a whole separate episode just to talk about each individual story because I think they warrant conversation. It was it was a lot of fun. Well, some, some of them do. Some of, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, we did it. Uh, we we, uh, we did. Oh, my God. I think nice, it's the longest one we've ever done. Tidy four hours. To be honest, <laughs> I don't know if I can in good contest do this as one episode. I think I have to break this up, so even though I was trying to do one Maybe episode. you could do 199.5 and then 199.69. <laughs> uh, that thought absolutely crossed my mind, so that might be the way to do it. I, I think, like, like I mean, release them when you want, but I think it would make sense to release them before the Oscars, Oh, right? yeah. I'm going to put them both out this week for sure. Awesome. Um, and just uh, we'll just break them up because <laughs> I, I can't unleash a four-hour podcast on our listeners. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll release them basically simultaneously, but just it'll be like uh, you know, it'll 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 help break it up for them, so it'll just be easier. So well, look so, at the Academy; they wanted a three-hour show, and as a result of all their stupidity, they've made this a four and a half-hour podcast. This is totally their fault. Uh, during your bathroom break, I actually did the the general ending wrap-up so we're actually pretty good to uh put a bow on this especially since uh uh i'm gonna i'm gonna go make some oh, yeah, we didn't actually conclude <laughs> <laughs> uh uh and, uh and i know chanel's home she she came home for lunch so i'll see if i can't uh go say hi to her before she splits again so that said four hours in uh this was a lot of fun i look forward to the actual awards I also oh, look forward too. to doing this uh, uh, next year, but you know this won't be the last time we either podcast or talk about the Oscars before next year. So that said, I have four hours. I guess we've said it all. Uh, until next time, I will see you on the other side. Later, wonder like if people at home when they're listening to this and we're just like busting a gut at some random thing we said <laughs> if they're laughing along with us or, or their faces are just made of stone <laughs>